everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast on a Valentine's Day night, spending Valentine's Day with these two bozos. I'm your host, Timuchin, as always, in cold Chicago, and with us today is, as usual, Gally Fresh, back from Boston. Gally, what's going on? Oh, yeah, back from Boston, all right. 60 degrees on Saturday, woke up to three inches of snow on Sunday. I hate New England. Well, could be worse. You could be in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> and Bickler, who just hashtag himself trivia legend. And, you know, I have questions submitted for today. And one of them was just like a bitch. And I'm like, dude, that's just not even fair. I don't think we should ask that to anybody. And I think you just earned that question. I was going to go with the easy one. What's going on, Bickler? I mean, I'm much like Fabinho. A little bit more hair, but I'm riding high right now in good form. Yeah, when I ask the trivia question, though, this is going to be this. This will be your version of Fabinho, right? right here. Hey, here we're yeah, we're we're on the same level there for sure. Any uh, plans for Valentine's Day once we get done over here? Are you guys going to go party like it's nineteen ninety nine, or what's going on? Zero, zero, zero chance of partying like it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I don't. Do you? Are uh, serious? Oh, that's a serious question. It yeah, I mean, I've got like lots of like, I've got a lot of people that want to hang out with me on Valentine's, so it's tough. I've pared it down to like you know eight or nine girls, but like it'll be it'll be fine. <laughs> well, let's start with the fun stuff. So you know what? I'll have it's Valentine's Day. I'll be good to you guys and ask the easier question first. But the other one, actually, I thought was really interesting. So we will kind of cover that. Uh, but I figured it would kind of be unfair to ask to you guys. Uh, and then maybe we'll keep the streak alive over here with Bickler getting it last time. So with the Champions League match coming up, here is your question. It's a pretty straightforward one. I'm asking the easy one. Our away record in the last 12 games in Champions League. Bickler, as always, we will start with you. Oh, man. I'm trying to think. Um, let's go. Cosgrove missed the question, so let's ask David Cosgrove. because <laughs> let's just He just tunes in for this, I think, anyway. So uh, the question is, our Champions League record in the last 12 games, and then I have another tricky, tough right. trivia. I'm going to go nine wins, two draws, one loss. What do you have there, Galley? I'm not going to give this away. Nine wins. Two draws, one loss. That's what Bickler said. It's a lot of math. Yeah. I gotta tell you. Yeah, I'm doing that. Uh, yeah, uh, Yali's making sure they add to twelve. I think is what I was actually. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I did that. That's what I spent the majority of the time doing. Yeah, I'm gonna actually. I'm not. I'm not gonna give us that good of a record. Actually, I'm gonna say it's uh, seven wins, three losses, and two draws. See, Cosgrove couldn't do the math. I told you. Yeah, math is not easy for some because, yeah, it does show right here. Uh, nine wins, one draw, one loss, says David Cosgrove. I don't know if the 12th game is abandons. <laughs> is he that something he's calculating that or what? Never, but... <laughs> he never wants to agree with me, even if it just like, you know, like that's what it is. <laughs> uh, yes, it is nine and one oh. and two. We, we... Oh, and they've jumped on with 10 and one. I don't know what's going on with the comments. They're popping all over the place uh, as I don't click them. But we have like 10 in one in two is the answer. So let me ask you guys this, because this was, I thought, uh, an interesting one. But I didn't want to ask it because I felt it was kind of too tricky. But um, for the last time we faced Inter. Over the 180 minutes during that round, how many of those minutes was Inter down a player? Out of 180, this is, yeah, see, to be a legend, if I asked you this one, yeah. it would be Fabinho all over again. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just going to get this one wrong because I don't want you to feel bad if I get it right. Um, I'll go 45 minutes. 
Cosgrove is trying to work the math out, but if you can't do 12, I don't know if you're going to be able to pull this one off there, David. Uh, how many you said? I, I'll say 45 minutes. 45 minutes, he says. Um, excuse the comments. I don't know what we're doing here, but the comments are going so, over the place showing on the screen. So the question is, how many minutes were, were they actually at full strength? No, they were down to 10 men. Big clear. What? <laughs> no, I'm just saying he is doing his best Bickler impression over yeah. here, asking yeah. like details of the questions. Well, I was making sure I understood. <laughs> you, you, you scoffed at him. It's against uh, Inter Milan, or uh, I, I'm gonna say it was more. Actually, I think it was like 60 minutes. It is actually 102. 61 minutes in the first leg oh, wow. when Matarazzi got the second yellow in the third. Yeah. And then 41 minutes in the second leg, Berdiso got his second at 50. And actually the goals we scored looks like were when they were down to 10 men. We'll take BJ for the inputs and the stats. And if they're wrong, I'll give you guys his email address. You guys can go after him. Uh, but at least there were some, like I say, I didn't want to ask that one and, Kind of like baffle you guys too much. But let's get to the other stuff. The weekend's game against Burnley. I mean, everybody knows I hate Burnley and I hate Sean Douche and the football he plays. And I think it was a perfect example of it uh, on Sunday in terms of why. But let's start with the lineup first. And then uh, we'll kind of like go from there. Uh, what do you make of the lineup? I think the biggest surprise was probably seeing Mane. Yeah, I, I, I do think that Mane starting in that uh, was a surprise. You know, they had mentioned how Jota was a late fitness test and that he actually had kind of picked up a knock. And I, I, I had just a, would assume that Mane wouldn't have uh, started that match had Jota been fully fit. Um but nothing surprises me, Paul, as we've talked about when it comes to Jurgen and lineups. When I think I understand what should happen and what will happen, um, there's always seems to be a curveball. So the bigger surprise to me was no rotation whatsoever at all at the back with the Champions League matchup coming in the midweek. I thought we'd get at least one piece of the back four uh, against Burnley, uh, possibly either Kanate or maybe even Samikas, but... Um, that was probably my two biggest surprises. Other than that, it was kind of what I expected. Would you have done anything different there, Paul, seeing that? I thought in some ways not starting Diaz was a smart move, especially since it was a Burnley game, which is probably what we were expecting. Uh, I thought it was a good move, and Klopp kind of explained it exactly like how we were probably thoughts in terms of why. But um, would you have changed anything, Pickler? No, I wouldn't have changed anything. You know, I think Jota not being there was obviously the weird one for everybody um, coming in. But, like, I think for the most part, that's that's the lineup you want to see. Um, I think, you know, Burnley's struggling, right? They're, they're in this relegation fight, but, like, it's still Burnley. They're going to – like, it's going to be – it's going to be extremely physical. The weather's not great. Like, so I think you got to have your most – veteran lineup out there and i think that's what we did for the most part and i think that was like the biggest issue was the weather is what we struggle with um i mean not a pretty game by all means and the goal comes from a you know like a set piece what do you make of the game in general galley i mean i know like we'll talk about like the chances and the high line and stuff like that but in terms of the performance what did you think I, I mean, it wasn't a stellar performance by any means, but they gutted it out and got three points in a tough place and bad conditions. I mean, there were a couple times in that first half where the wind was just ridiculous, including right before the goal when Trent couldn't take the corner because the corner flag was hitting him in the face every time he tried to get near the ball. Um, I just think that when you add in the crazy weather that comes with Turf Moor, the crazy opponents that you play at Turf Moor, and then the tactics in which they play against you, it's never pretty when we play against Burnley. And they had a few opportunities. We'll get to those, I'm sure. By and large, we could have scored a couple goals. 
We really could have. And if we had had any of the finishing and on the few opportunities we did have, we would have won the game probably 2-0 and felt like it was kind of a comfortable match. But instead, it was another just underwhelming performance against a lower-level side. But we got three points, and that's the most important thing. I think, like, when we were talking in the Discord channel, Paul, I mean, the thing that we discussed more about in terms of, like, the chances we gave or we didn't give, and we did give some chances in the first half. I know Fabinho had that look, but we did give him some chances in the first half that they could have capitalized on. Uh, overall, I mean, half of them were offside, so they weren't actual chances that came back. I'm, I want to go back to uh, the refereeing. This week's uh, input from the Delaware podcast is regarding refereeing as well. So we'll kind of like talk about the refereeing. But I think the thing we discussed the most was our stubbornness in terms of the high line and kind of like keep going at it. Even in this weather where really that's all Burnley was doing, all what they were going to do, keep lobbing it up there. Hopefully it lands off every, in front of everybody and then kind of go from there. Is it just stubbornness or is this just how we roll and it is what it is? I mean, I think it's just our system. I mean, we saw the graphic come out this week where it shows like uh, most offsides, you know, sprung or trapped and we're like almost double the number two team in the league. So it clearly works. I think what's terrifying for it, there, there's a number of things that terrifies me about it. And one, Virgil is not not pre-injury Virgil. And I don't know if he'll ever be. So his pace concerns me when we play that high of a line. Second of all, in yesterday's game, with the conditions the way they were, with not only the wind, but the, the, the plank, the pitch being that wet, that's concerning. I think what we had going for us, though, is that Burnley's basically Neanderthal football, and they're just going to long ball it. If we were playing a team like Spurs, that would have been very scary because what they do is they just thread the ball through the half space all day. And that's really scary on a pitch where that ball is going to skip. You know, and that's what I was worried with the high line. You're a skip away from getting beaten. And even all, all six foot six of Veghurst beat us a couple times on it you know, and, and, and cause us issues first half. We really did a good job of tightening that up second half. I think that high line is part of our DNA. There are just certain conditions that scare me when we play that. Um, I mean, and I think that, you know, like I said, I, thankfully Burnley doesn't play the ball on the ground. So, uh, I mean, that was to our benefit all day. What do you think, Gally? Because I know, like like I say, we kind of like discussed it uh, in the Discord channel. By the way, excuse the technical difficulties. These comments are popping from all over the place. I'm not even clicking on them. I can't stop the comments at this point. But uh, so in terms of that high line, Gally, I mean, do you take it as this is how we play? and like, Or would you rather see us occasionally make an adjustment kind of like, you know, especially on a game like this? Well, I would love to see adjustments made, and I think we do make those adjustments. We don't see them as much. He doesn't abandon it because he's never going to go against the principle. I mean, to Paul's point, it is genuinely in our DNA to the point where I think if you told these guys not to do it, what would end up happening is we'd have one guy way up high and another guy dropping off behind, and then we'd be in even more trouble. And and. You know, I, I do think that we've seen a different Virgil. I think the last few matches I've been pleasantly uh, – I've been more optimistic that we're starting to see the better uh, the better of Virgil and that he's starting to get a little bit more of his quickness back and even just some of his positional awareness. And maybe that's just having more confidence in the knee and in the full rehabilitation of it now that it's been, you know, a full year and a half since the injury occurred. Um, I think that – when it comes to this team, we're going to live and die by that line. And I think that's why it is so important in the big, big matches that it's Virgil and Matip at this point. Because I really think they're the only two that have the true understanding that you need in that center-back partnership. It's, a, it, it's kind of a reason why I was a little surprised to, to not see either a Kanate or even a Gomez get a start here for the plain fact that we have so many matches coming in such a short period of time that it feels like um, there might be bigger matches to be played in the next three and a half weeks that might call on our number one center back pairing. Almost seems like we're relying on Matip's role as a, our best number 10 uh, so he can kind of like go, go out there and help us break down these defenses because we kind of knew 
Burnley was going to sit back. And they really, I know they have a ton of games in hand. And I'm still hopeful they'll be the ones relegated, mind you. But it just feels like a team that does not have a lot of threats. And does, I mean, I don't know if they were just so afraid of us that they didn't want to show any kind of like, you know, like Bickler, you were saying, like playing it on the ground. It's just like they didn't even attempt it. And I don't know if that was the quality and out of the pitch, probably, especially the way we're playing kind of invites that because, you know, a lot easier to make those mistakes when the ball like skips off the ground and stuff. But it felt like they didn't even try to do a build up, which honestly, in some ways, is probably the smarter way to play against us. Yeah, I mean, totally. I think if you're you're obviously inferior competition and you have a six foot six center half, like you're just going to chuck that thing up. Like, and that's kind of always how they played anyway. But I think, I mean, given the conditions, I think that was the way that they were always going to set up to play anyway. Um, I mean, they're, they're an interesting team because like, if you look at them, um, like they've conceded less goals than the fourth and fifth teams on the table, but they're averaging less than a goal a game scored. So they're good defensively. They just can't score. And that's exactly what we got during the game. And if you looked at it and the handful of chances they did have where they were onside, the finishing was just, was really, really poor. And, and so was ours, to be honest. Like, I think it was like two teams that like struggled to finish. And then we scored the most Burnley goal you'll ever see to win it. So <laughs> it was a Burnley goal. That's a good point. Yes. So there was a couple of things I want to talk about. I think in terms of the game, the key was getting the three points, getting out of there, especially against Bernie, not getting anybody hurt. Uh, I getting some really good important. minutes out of like, you know, Sadio and, you know, being able to kind of like, you know, get what we want. But here's my thing in terms of like refereeing, because there was a situation in the first half with Mo where he was pretty much tripped. And I, I can't even understand why VAR did not take a look at that further. And then obviously, I want to kind of like talk about all these offside flags and stuff. But this week's video uh, from our uh, buddies in Delaware, uh, Sean and Daz are the ones uh, on the video this week. But let's take a listen to those. And then I really want to get your guys' take on that. So uh, here is Sean and Daz uh, regarding the refereeing. Hello, American Scouser fans. Uh, we're joining you from the First State Cop Bites podcast. Uh, this week's segment, uh, I'm going to be talking with Daz from Baltimore about penalties and pe penalty decisions, and hopefully we can keep it to about two minutes because there's a lot to say, I think. Um, so with that, um, and, and I should say I'm Sean O'Neill, uh, and I'm from Delaware, from the Delaware Sports Club. Um, so we had an interesting decision today, uh, or non-decision on Salah in the Burnley match, uh, which was a uh, looked like a horrible place to be up there in Turf Moor. I'm glad I didn't have to be there, um, but we ended up, you know, getting the win. And uh, there was a shout for a penalty on Salah, which we've seen I think too many times before. Um, and so, Daz, you know, what what were your thoughts on that incident? At first thought, I thought he might have slipped, but I could you definitely see that one leg get, get go back a little bit, which is an indication that, that there was some contact. And he went down and he, and, he, and he immediately rolled and looked at the ref. They picked up the ball, marched down the other pitch and almost scored. Um, I, when I saw that again, I was, I was, I think, justifiably pissed off. Furious would probably be closer to it because I seem to remember the, and we talked about this earlier, was the, that Robert, Robertson challenge, if you will, on um, what's his face at Brighton, Danny Welbeck, when Danny Welbeck seemed to go down under the, the, the faintest of touches. And after a fairly long forensic look at it in VAR, they dubbed it, they judged it to be a penalty. Um, and I, I thought to myself, how is this any different than, than that? And there's any number of slight touches um, there was the one for Fabinho. Was it two seasons ago? And he was actually outside of the box, and they gave it a they gave it as a penalty and a slight touch. It's just it, it's just it's becoming more than a little irksome. And I think we talked about this yesterday. It's like it's it's almost not even worth going into anymore because at this point, like why bother? It just seems to be baked into into the way that we being that the referees are refing against us. Yeah, and. Uh... Paul referenced earlier and, and when we were talking in our podcast discussion, um, Simon Brundish, if anybody follows him on Twitter, had broken down the number of, of times that 
Raheem Sterling gets a penalty compared to the number of touches he has in the box versus Salah, and the, the numbers are just drastically different. Salah has way more uh, touches in the box, way fewer penalties. Um, oh, off as many as 13 to 26. Yeah, and, and, and Paul Tompkins has done an analysis on this too. So while I hate, you know, being the guy that like points to the ref all the time, it's just, I don't watch a lot of other matches, but, you know, when I do watch Chelsea and City and Man United, like they get these calls all the time. And there seems to be something about Mane and Salah where the officials just won't give them the call for penalties anymore. Um, and it's it's frustrating. Uh, we, we kind of battle on anyway, but... Um, you know, it's um, it's frustrating to watch. So I don't know how much more there is to, to add to that. But, you know, interesting topic of discussion, I think. Hopefully we're not too biased in Liverpool's favor. But um, I guess we're going to throw it back to you, Timuchin, and the guys at American Scouser. Thanks, Sean. I mean, that's – so let's take this in, like, two different aspects. And – like I say, if you're kind of like watching us live right now, if your comments are going all over the place and it's showing a comment from five minutes ago, like it's just now, just don't worry about it. I'm trying not to worry about them at least. So let's take this in like two different spots. One thing is what Sean mentioned at the end. Like, is it our bias that in terms of the calls in general, I mean, I think we would all agree, right, that this was a penalty and it should have been given as a penalty because the clear contact, he goes down, and I personally thought, and I think I said it in the Discord channel at the time, uh, Sterling gets that call because he goes down. He doesn't try to stay up at all. I think Salah over there gets punished for trying to stay up. So I want to get to that afterwards in terms of, because I think that's more like a general soccer problem. But Bickler, let's start with you. Is it just our bias, you think, that, you know, we don't see everything that happens in a Chelsea game, for example, then we watch a highlight, we're like, oh, they got a lame penalty. Is it just a Liverpool bias, or are we just like literally being targeted more than other teams? Uh, no, it's not a bias because the answer is I do watch all the games, not in their entirety, but the I'm a loser, so I watch all the extended highlights, and which is all the sort of major decisions that happen in the box during matches. And like, here's my thing. Like, I think when you look at penalty decisions, oftentimes as a ref, it comes down to a player's style of play and their reputation outside of just the call itself. Like those two things are factors. And most style of play is sort of similar to Mane where they try to win that second ball and they will stay up. Right. Um, I don't think that either have a reputation as divers, I mean, I think some people will make that argument against Mo, but I think that's more of a desperate attempt to discredit Mo than an, than an actual intelligent argument for and against Mo. The problem that I have with it is that we introduced VAR to eliminate this kind of bullshit, and we're still dealing with it. Like, if you if you have a call, if there's if there's a situation that happens in the box, you you can't tell me you're not going and looking at that. And if you're going and looking at that, there's clear, indisputable contact with that player. You're not like, how are you not in that ref's earpiece? Like, hey, there's contact. Your call. Go take a look at it and see if you think it's enough to overturn it. Like, and this this goes back to VAR in general. VAR and rugby, we hear that conversation. There is some sort of transparency. There is none in the EPL. There is no transparency as to any conversation on how they're using VAR, what they're determining to look at a play. And that's as frustrating as not getting the call, in my opinion. Like, the misuse of VAR and the inconsistent use of it is just as infuriating to me as, as the non-call itself. And this is the second week in a row for Mo. Like, he got cleared out on the shot last week, which was like stone-cold penalty in, in nothing. Like, and it's like, you know, I don't think there's this anti – like, I don't think – I'm not going to go and say I think there's, like, an agenda against Mo or I think he just doesn't get these calls. But you're right about Raheem Sterling because he doesn't go after that second ball. He goes down like he's shot, and he gets that call. Um, and so are we asking players to play that way? I don't know, but that goes back to my original problem. Like, players shouldn't have to change the way they're playing to get these calls. When we have a system that is designed – to electronically go back and look at video replays. It makes no sense to me. 
Yeah, now that I can occasionally show actual comments being made, Brian Shelton says there's been this been an issue going on for for a long time and has totally contributed to the current diving issues. And that's I guess my biggest concern, Gally, is the fact that I mean, I want to ask the same question to you in terms of you feel the biases specifically against Mo or Liverpool or just, you know, just like a soccer issue. I just don't like the fact that we are rewarding diving. You know, we talk about and complain about players who do dive. But then, you know, you see what happened in the Burnley game and we kind of say, man, just go down. And that's kind of like, you know, contradicts each other. A player who's trying to still fight it off should still be able to get that penalty. Yeah, I I have a hard time with this one only from the standpoint of this. I thought it was a penalty. I thought that VAR should have looked at it, sent him to the monitor. Uh, I still don't know if he would have gave it because he claimed in his match report he saw the contact and didn't think it was enough to warrant a penalty. So for all we know, VAR did tell him, you know, we think you should have a look at this. If, if, he, if they don't say clear and obvious error, then the match official on the field does have the right to say, like, I saw this clearly, and, and they will play on. And that's what I think is the problem, to Paul's point. They don't talk about the actual application of the rule. And here's the biggest thing. We have gotten to a point where the use of VAR is ultimately there to take away goals and to support on-field refereeing decisions which is completely contradictory of why they told us they were giving us the video assistant referee. All the purists screamed, right? We, we don't want this. The game's going to get changed. We're going to be re-refereeing a match. We, you know, we don't want this computerized technology. But ultimately, offsides takes away more goals than it brings the game, correct decisions. They're at the point now where for a penalty, they'll use three different replays because they first have to check if the play was onside at the start of the play. And then now that they've proven it's onside, they use VAR to check whether or not it is a penalty. It's just, or whether it ha was handball after the fact, you know, before a goal score. So they're just using it to almost muddy decisions rather than get them right. So for... Was that a penalty on the pitch? I think it was. But I don't know that you'll ever see VAR in today's uh, application make that a penalty. It, it's ultimately only there to correct the mistake. And it does reward diving clearly because we're still not seeing simulation cards given. And we know there's diving happening all the time. And now they have video replay to prove it. And they still don't. I was going to say, I mean, and I know diving, especially during the game, it's kind of hard to call sometimes because uh, it could be, you know, a shoulder that you could not handle. So you went down kind of thing, whereas you were just trying to get the penalty, get the best of both worlds. But, yeah, I just don't like the fact that, you know, we are kind of promoting the fact that players go down a lot easier than anything else. And, you know, Darren says, who, by the way, is... And Austin, where I will be tomorrow, hopefully uh, watch the Champions League game with those boys on Wednesday. But Darren says there's been a lot of non-calls, but if it happens outside the box, they'll usually give a free kick, lots of inconsistencies, which is, I think, a totally different issue as well. That, you know, what's called as a foul outside is not now a foul inside. And I know, you know, going back to the VAR in terms of like showing what's wrong, I mean, that's what it should be freaking before in terms of saying hey i think you missed something there and let them watch it again and we know usually when they call to watch him like we know now that it's probably going to get overturned uh, brian says we tried to eliminate the human bias with the on-field official with var and create a different form of human bias by having a single person in the booth you think that's the problem i know we can go on and on on the var thing forever bickler but I mean, what is the ideal solution in your head in terms of, man, I wish it was like this kind of a scenario? A Valentine's wish, if you will. Uh, that VAR was run by a neutral third party. I guess if I had a wish on it. Like some three German dudes in like, you know, Munich somewhere? <laughs> I mean, historically speaking, that gets into shaky territory when you introduce the Germans. But like, uh, I would, I mean... <laughs> 
I like I don't care. Hold on, I think gotta, hold on. Let me type up the apology to German uh, fans. Is it a Swiss? I don't know. Uh, no, I mean I don't really care who it is. I just think like there's somebody's got to police the police. You know what I mean? I mean you can. There's always going to be a room for corruption in the sport. I just think there's a fraternal brotherhood between these referees that sort of gets in the way of things. Um, I'd like to see it taken out of that and, and into a neutral third party um, that handles these types of things. What about using ex-players, like a, a small group of ex-players? And I'm not saying ones with bias towards things. They might not even have to know. It might be a panel of people that rotate. But actually someone who played the game and understands the game a little bit. Because I feel like VAR is the practical application of the rules. We know the law. And then they get muddled into it. Where I, I do believe if you had a player who played this at this level and understands that spot, that moment, I think they see that and they say that's a penalty all day long. That's a player getting cleared out as he goes to make contact with the ball. That has to be a penalty. That's a foul. And I think that is the type of thing. But a second referee sees that and puts themselves in the position of that match day official. And I, and I think it's it's – it is ultimately like having the police look into their own investigative actions against their own police brother. It's hard when you want to see that person as doing things right to, to call them out on it. And let's not be, let's be honest. These guys are judged for how they do and they get bigger matches based on their efficiencies and they get international matches and that comes into their pay and, you know, world cup status. You know, it's kind of an embarrassment. Someone mentioned it in the chat earlier. I'm pretty sure it popped up on the screen 15 minutes ago, eight minutes ago, and we'll be back up in three minutes. But they mentioned something about how it's the best league in the world, and it's embarrassing that they have some of the worst officiating. And, you know, at the last World Cup, they were represented by one crew, and they were basically the they – were, they were like fill-ins. And right now they have the lowest coefficient of any of the major leagues in all of Europe, which means they won't be represented again at the next World Cup. So that, that's a real embarrassment when you start talking about the level of money that goes into the product and you'd expect them to get the same level of quality efficiency. I understand you're like, you know, like reasoning in terms of wanting players, but I think it just opens the door for bias even worse, at least in my head. Like when I see a couple of names more than in refs are. today's, I mean, in terms of the, I mean, the refs are supposed to, I mean, these refs, whether they played it or not, which I'm sure they played, they just were not good enough. So they became refs, but uh, you know, like they have to understand the game and know what's happening and stuff like that. And the reason, you know, I said, Germans that you know Vipper got all over is I wanted somebody outside and I know it's kind of like against their constant thinking these messages by the way could drive me nuts at any second so if I break the laptop you guys will know why but anyway going back to this um it's I feel like part of the problem when VAR started was they didn't want to correct each other's mistakes because next week I'm going to be your VAR guy you're going to be my VAR guy and stuff I figured maybe using a totally objective source from outside would kind of eliminate that a little bit. But yeah. And my problem with the panel is like, I like that idea in theory, but we're not cutting a commercial during a game to have a discussion about this. Right. It's got to go back to, it's got to go right back to the ref and they've got to make a quick decision as to whether it gets looked at and overturned or not. So I don't know. There's lots to discuss there. I, it's a mess. Yeah, we could probably yeah. spend eight days on this. But I do want to touch on this one that Darren mentioned earlier is don't get me started on offside calls with the linesman throwing the flag an hour later. So what the actual hell? So first of all, as a defense defender, I would hate that crap because it's kind of like that's kind of your challenge to set that line and trap the freaking forward. And you think you did a good job. You're like, wait, what? What's going on? And then that reaction time automatic. And now you have to run. So now you're running to fix your mistake you think you made, but actually you didn't make. I would just hate that as a defender. And when I, I mean, we've had injuries. We we're talking about this on the Discord channel when they kind of waited. But I really feel like until somebody important or famous like Ronaldo or Messi or somebody like that gets injured, they're going to keep doing this. I guess my thing is. Sometimes they blow it like two seconds late. What is that two seconds gaining? Like, is he rethinking what's happening? What the hell? 
Yowie. <laughs> there, there is absolutely no logic to this whatsoever. I, I, I can't find any. At first, I started to think like they wanted to let the play develop because they were hopeful that in opportunities where the offensive player turns the ball over and the defender takes possession, you can just kind of play an advantage and keep the game moving. Um, that might speed things up. Two, I thought for the fact that now that they had Barr in place, maybe on the really tight ones um, where goal opportunities happen, it would make things easier uh, to chalk off or, you know, to basically have the play continue in case the player was onside and the goal scores. Some of these are so ridiculous. They are five, six, seven yards to the point where the player is kind of laughing as they run down the ball and waiting for the offside flag to go up. Um, I think it was Cosgrove mentioned in our, in our discord channel, um, Rui Patricio getting a concussion on one of these. And we thought maybe that would be the player, you know, a, a Premier League starting international level keeper gets a concussion for no reason. Um, I'm going to get a concussion after I smash my head into the screen trying to stop these comments <laughs> from coming up. Um, they keep coming but, fast and furious. They are fast I feel and like furious. the guy on the Weather Channel who's just getting blown away in the middle of a storm. There's comments Correct. coming out of every. You have friggin' Fenerbahce is starting 11 scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Like, yeah, yeah I'll tell you yeah, what. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I don't even know who these players are, but the Fernabachi starting 11 is scrolling across. What an absolute time. shit show tonight. Paul's <laughs> point. All the technical difficulties. I think it's because my mouse is going crazy over here. but It's probably because Angie programmed this to be like, why the are you doing a podcast on Valentine's Day? Dude, I, I know your kids are well-behaved, Tamisha, and otherwise I'd blame it on them because mine take the batteries out of everything. So I would think like, you know... <laughs> Like they take the batteries out of all the remotes in my house and shove them into actual Nerf guns. So, uh, but anyway, I digress. You know what's funny is I didn't even notice the ticker going. We are the, off the rails. We do a today. podcast with my brother, so I explained the Fenerbahce connection while we're at it over here. Actually, right here to your right of the screen over here, uh, that's actually my grandfather, uh, who's one of the all-time best players of Fenerbahce. But anyway, the Fenerbahce ticker was going because we do a podcast with my brother because obviously we have huge connections to Fenerbahce over here. But let's get back to the topic on hand with these freaking flags. I, I just want to go out. I want to go on record here. I would call out a timeout for a humble brag moment of the year, except for it's pretty goddamn cool that your grandpa is one of the greatest players of, of the club that you guys support from your country. And that's really cool. And we should probably celebrate it more often um, and, you know, talk about how awesome your grandfather was. But normally we would give you flack for telling a story like that at this point. But on Valentine's Day, in the midst of a shitstorm of comments, uh, it is really cool that you shared that story. And I can't wait till we get the story in a few minutes when this thing goes off the rails about Stitch. Because that's our second favorite person. I, I give up. Yeah. You know what? Let's just get the comments go nuts. I'm not even going to touch the comments anymore. You guys can keep commenting, and I will let the system decide what shows up. You know, it goes back and forth and stuff. Yeah, we'll just oh talk God. about the background. That's my grandfather right there. Uh, yeah, one of the, I honestly did not realize how – I know growing up, when, if I watch you want a title, like they would have these booklets come out with the papers and stuff, like top 10 players. And he was always featured there. Obviously, I never got to watch him. I'm not that old, thank God. But, um, but yeah, I mean, now if you go to the Wikipedia page, for example, for Fenerbahce, his picture is actually, the picture actually you see there is the picture on the Wikipedia. And right next to him is our, uh, basically, I guess we can call him the pets of the podcast, right? Since we talk about him so much is Stitch, who kind of is losing weight with these low-scoring games. You know what's funny? Uh, we actually, we totally went off topic, but it might as well. It's going downhill, might as well go all the way. But we, you know, had to board him when we went on vacation, and she was like, you know, it's actually the breeder that we leave him with, so it hangs out with his brothers and sisters and crap. And she was like, yeah, he's a bit, like, heavy. So probably should give him like less snacks and stuff. And I was like, Liverpool has been doing really well the last two, three years. So most of his gained weight. I'm like, you can blame Mo for this. Probably that's why he's fat kind of thing since he gets. As T performance goes up, Stitch's fitness goes down. <laughs> 
So do you guys see, I mean, I was hoping last year we would see an adjustment to this flag thing, but it never happened. And it almost feels like it got worse. And I think it's the most confusing when I almost would not mind it if it was very close. And like you're saying, Gally, they said, okay, let it play. You know, I, it's too close to call, let him play. So whatever happens, the guy dribbles, takes a shot and stuff. Okay. I can understand and kind of like live with that. What I don't understand is where they kind of make it go only for two seconds. Like, did he decide within those two seconds? You know what? I, I think I blew that. That was probably offsides. And then raise the flag. It's not like it's quick enough for somebody or VAR or somebody to tell them, hey, that was offsides. I mean, what is the reasoning behind that? If you were going to raise the flag two seconds from now, why don't you raise it in the first place? Does it almost look like they put thoughts and effort into it, Bickler? Like, I have nothing constructive to say about this topic. It's totally <laughs> shocking. Like, I really don't. It just, like, none of it makes sense to me. It just – it causes doubt to creep in. It causes bad situations from, like, a sick player safety standpoint. Um, like, I have nothing good to say about it. And honestly, man, if I was Jordan Henderson, before the game, I'd be going over those touchline guys and be like, listen, a couple beers after the game, you just fucking raise the flag, okay? When it happens, if it's like, dude, like, whatever you got to do – I'll take care of you after the match. Let's just like stop the bullshit. If it's offsides, raise the flag. If it's, you're not sure, we'll deal with that. But like, do the right thing. Like, I don't, I don't get. They, they have got like. I, the funny thing is, we bitch about how how inconsistent VAR is, but the dumbest thing they do is consistently done. So like, they're, they're clearly they're clearly being told. There, there's clear direction happening about this. We just don't know why, and it makes it makes zero sense. So, and let's stick with that topic where you can't add anything constructive and wrap up the Premier League conversation and all these comments with a peek at the fantasy league because I know there's that a lot of positive that can be said about that setup too. The only positive, but it has become scary, is Kelly is still in the top spot, but only is up by one. Dan Ooh. Bennett had a huge week and closed the gap to four. Uh, Gally, I feel like I'm scrolling a lot, bro. Well, I'm, I am dropping like I am dropping like <laughs> Brentford people. I am I am sinking like a stone. We, yeah, well, in the let's, let's, let's be honest. We can see what's happening, right? For anybody who needs a good follow on social media, uh, Christopher Alvin, um, we can see that you're taking your wife on these trips to hotels. You guys are drinking a lot. You're going like it's it's very obvious to people who are paying attention what's clearly happening here. Yeah, well, you know, tank of Palooza is not working. Only one Gallivan is going red arrow every week in the standings. <laughs> to be fair, you stayed put, but you're in the 15th spot now. And I mean, I'm we used to calculate 100. it's well over hundred points now. And yeah. unnecessary pet drama, which makes me chuckle every time I see it, is 34th. And I caught up a point so far this week, but I'm a miserable 49th. And I just always, I just started to set my lineup to your exact same lineup, knowing you can't close the gap that way. You know, I just noticed that uh, last week, and then I see it again this week. I'm like, oh, I got this guy. He's doing good. I go look at Bickler's roster. He picked him up. I'm like, bro, like, what is Pretty that? smart, yeah, isn't like, it? We had, like, I think uh, six guys in common going together somehow, <laughs> and that is a I tad mean, too shady. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it is a positive and a negative in that, all wrapped up into one, let me tell you. So, yeah, nothing positive to say about that as well. We're just hoping Cl uh, Kelly picks it back up because that is our only hope. I mean, we were, I mean, beating uh, Galley is no accomplishment for Kelly at this point. It's just about winning the title. Um, so, let's those. take a peek real quick at the Champions League game. Champions League is back against Inter. What do you think, Bickler, in terms of lineup? What do you expect out of this matchup? I mean, I think our lineup kind of writes itself at this point, except for the midfield has a question mark. And I'll tell you, if Jordan Henderson looks anything like he did versus Burnley, I don't want to see any part of him in this match. And that kills me to say, because I think he is like one of the most important players for us in terms of dictating the pace if the ball rotates through the midfield. I think he's critical. He's essentially a metronome in midfield. And when he's not there, 
The timing seems off. But he was so, so bad versus Burnley. And I know he's had this, like, hurt back that he's dealing with. But I will tell you, man, father time looks like he's starting to catch up with Hendo this year. Um, I mean, we've seen significant drop-offs in not only Milner, but if you're honest with yourself and you really look at it, Hendo doesn't look like Hendo and hasn't for a couple months now. So hopefully we get some rotation in there. I'd like to see him start if he's if he's okay. Um, if there's any question marks, I think, you know, I thought Nabby quietly had a good game last match for, for a very physical Burnley team. I know nobody wants to hear that, but I, I think – I think Nabby has earned a spot in this lineup. If Hendo's out, Fabinho and Thiago, I think that's my midfield. Up top, I'm going Mane, Mo, and then Jota through the middle. Um, as much as I love Firmino right now, I think Jota's just too hot to sit. He's scoring from everywhere. Um, and I think the back four kind of writes itself. You got VVD, uh, uh, Matip, and then you got Rabo and Trent on the sides. You're using Matip again, Hal. I actually thought, I agree with Brian Shelton, who thinks I think Matip will get rotated. Not too big on it, but knowing his history, I don't want to risk it either. And we've had Konade there in the spot, and he's used to that experience. I was kind of expecting him, actually. Uh, and, yeah, Megan says, Keller and goal just to piss Victor off. Oh, yes. you guys are funny. So you have fans. Yes. I'm telling you, I didn't bring it up last podcast because I was being nice. <laughs> but Kelleher had made that mistake in a cup final. Nobody'd be laughing at me. <laughs> Way to jinx it. Um, well, I'll also say if, if Kelleher came out and decided to play with the ball with his back to his own goal, with just at the at 40 yards out of his own box like Allison did uh, on on Sunday morning, we'd also no one would made excuses. And I was in a pub where someone was actually trying to tell me that it wasn't a big deal that Allison did this. And I'm like, no, that is a spot where you just kick the ball out of bounds. And if you ever, you know, as a young goalkeeper, ever want to see the opportunity of catching yourself in a bad situation, I think Allison did it three times in that moment. And then on the fourth one was like, all right, I'm finally just going to kick the ball out of bounds and run back to my own goal line. It was the most ridiculous thing. You, you don't find that at like five-year-old youth level games. Um, but the, the only change I think we'll see is in the back. I don't think you can keep rolling out this same back four every single matchup and and have guys stay healthy. And I, I, I do think we'll get a change there. I'm a little shocked. And there's I, – I don't understand what the allure would be to play Kanate in this match unless um, he's shown enough in his Champions League. You know, I think he had four starts in the, in the group uh, play, at least three, including the best performance he had against AC Milan. And maybe the fact that he's shown Jurgen something in, in Europe makes him a little bit more comfortable um, with him partnering Virgil, you know, in this first leg. Because I don't think you're going to play Matip three times in a week. And that, to me, seems like that would be, you know, really rolling the dice at this part of the season. But we've already done that this year, though. I know. I know. What do you make of the front three that – because I thought Bobby had a really poor game as well. I'm – Trying not to believe the whole handle thing, probably more denial on my part than anything else, to be honest with you. I mean, I do see with Milner, I just feel like handle just does not look all there. Like, this just does not look 100%. Uh, but I feel like we kind of like need him out there. But yeah, like I said, that could be part of me with in denial. With Keita, I always get a lot of crap for because whenever I criticize him, I always get crap. See, Bickler last, so Bickler must be the one that was starting this because whenever like something about with Keita comes up, Bickler always like blames me for some reason. The only thing that I did not like is him, and I know it was Burnley, and I know they play like freaking butchers out there, but. There were a lot of 50-50s he kind of pulled out of. Otherwise, I thought he was good on the ball, and I really like his pressing up top, so I can see him in this game. That's And I know because of his injuries and stuff, maybe you know his kind of brain is functioning like that, but I felt like he pulled out of a lot of 50-50s this game, like balls that you know he would normally go after and sadly got injured by Pogba in the United game, for example, where he would go after it. So that's probably partially why, but man, that's kind of like scary if that's the way it's going to go. But Bobby, I felt like was so poor entire game, especially with his passing and stuff. I mean, the movement is always there. The work rate is always there. But I thought his 
like passing was so bad. I know it wasn't good across the board with the weather and everything, but it was so bad. Are you putting him in your front three? Or are you going with Bickler's front three there, Galley? I, I would not have Bobby starting. That was that was one of the poorer performances I've seen from him. And this goes to periods where he'd go 15. We've talked about it, right? He went 15 Premier League games, 15 Premier League starts without a goal at one point last campaign. And I still don't think he was playing as poorly as he did over that 90 minutes. Now, did Burnley have something to do with that? You know, I think when you do the elegant movements and you try to make things happen the way that he does, and you just run around and get kicked by, you know, Tarkowski and Ben Nee all game long, you probably just get sick of it after a while and it might be a little disheartening. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Diaz get a start over Mane if any of the four or if anyone out of Paul's front three doesn't get a start I could see it being Mane purely because of the amount of minutes and the travel he had for Senegal um, just saying like we we meant to have you come in and give us 30 minutes from the bench but you had to start that match so in this one we'll give Diaz the start and I think Diaz's play um sets up right now to play against a Leicester city to play against a European opponent rather than, you know, a Burnley or a Norwich or somebody who's going to kick at your heels for 45 minutes. See, Paul, we, we ran off our host. Good. We didn't need him. I think that's good. I think um, it's going to be interesting. Cause like, you know, inter sets up in this really interesting three, five, two with like, Jekko, who has got to be close to 45 years old now. Um, and, I mean, when we look at that, that's going to be really interesting. And then you, I think on the right side, I think that Trent could have a good day. I mean, I don't I don't see a whole lot of pace on that team. They play with that back three, and then you got Perisic on that side, and he doesn't have a ton of pace. He can be physical, but I think Trent and Mo could have their way down that right side, and that's going to cause Inter a lot of problems. It'll be interesting to and, see. And that could be, you know, that, you know, you make a good point, Paul, about the 700 foot target man that's 150 years old, but all he does is, you know, score 30 goals a season since he went to Italy at 35 years old. Um, but he, you know, that might be a reason why you do play a Canate because you actually have a physical presence that you just match up with them. Because if I've noticed anything, it's that more than ever before, Virgil does seem like he's okay with, the other center back taking the brunt of the physical approach to the centers. Cause I've seen Matip actually taking more of that approach this season when partnering with big verbs than we've seen in the past. So maybe that's a reason why, you know, Jurgen decided to go this way. And maybe we do see Kanate uh, as some of the guys in the comments talked about. Um, what do you guys make of Sparky Parky's midfield there with Fabinho, Thiago and Elliot? Is that too much on Elliot? Bickler, like to expect out of him. Obviously, the kid is mature. Beyond I'm super years. high on Harvey. Okay, so this is nothing against Harvey. I just think, I think in a Champions League elimination game, I'm not going to say the stage is too big for him. I just would rather see him as a, a sub off the bench than I would rather see him starting. I agree, Galley. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a huge Harvey Elliott fan, and I love youth players. You know, uh, I think as an American sports fan, that's something we do maybe more than most Europeans is that we jump to youth, right? We love the young kid. Like, you know, yesterday was the Super Bowl and people talk about like the when you have a mediocre team, the, the, the everyone's favorite player is the backup quarterback because the idea that he could be better than your current quarterback. And I think that's the idea with these young kids. And I just love pumping the brakes. The idea that Harvey just got back from this injury had a great impact off the bench. I like that he didn't start that match against Burnley. That would have been a terrible situation, in my opinion, to put him into. And I don't know that he needs to go start a match in the Champions League either. He's not a savior. He's supposed to be an intricate part to the team getting better. And I think when you put too much on these young players, and I think that's what Klopp and, you know, I think Guardiola, I think what they do is, is they coddle these players in a way that allows them to just flourish into greatness. And I, I don't think Trent – there was no one there for Trent to help coddle him. He made the shock start against United. He played great, and it was his basically from then on out. And Klopp just went with him. But I think that's really going to be the exception. And I think that we're going to watch Harvey play the rest of this year. A few spot starts, a lot of key 
performances from the bench. And I think he probably might be the succession plan to, you know, Hendo's long-term position in the starting 11 as time goes on. And it might be as early as next year at some point that he wins that job. And, you know, to Paul's point, I think so much is heaped on this kid. The worst thing we can do is rush into it. And I think a week after being out for as long as he was to give him a big start on the road in the Champions League just doesn't make much sense. So you don't want to start him in a cup final then? As you were talking, I can see the smirk do you on understand? his face. He's just like this waiting guy, for the beach you. balls. He's just slamming the guy acts like yes. I wasn't on the podcast saying I wouldn't start him. I was I against starting I killer. I love you, Gally. I'm sorry. That was unfair. Hey, now that I, I, I that finally might have, now that the podcast is almost over, else. I think I've managed to fix the comment section. Um, so, <laughs> Fab, Hendo, and Thiago uh, says Megan, and I do agree with that. And speaking of uh, broadcasting shit shows that today and has ended up being with these comments, uh, what did you guys make of yesterday's Super Bowl shit show? Uh, in terms of like the broadcast, it just has become, and I don't know if it's always been like this, I guess, but is it just me that it's just getting worse that like you almost at one point say, oh shit, there is a game today uh, amongst all this other crap that's going on. Or is that the, the Turkish in me, Bickler? Uh, I don't really know because I was working in the middle of it. I was bartending for people. Sorry, that I didn't mean to salt on that wound. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, you know, I was just putting up a general nonsense as I, I did watch a good portion of it because we started thinning out towards the end. But um, the introduction has always been big. What I don't like about what the Super Bowl has become is like when I was a kid growing up, they had these elaborate introductions still, but it was – about the players in their year and the colleges they went to and their story. And now it's becoming about the celebrities introducing the players. It's becoming about the people that are like supposed to be introducing the players. And it's like, I'm like, dude, who needs to hear more about the rock? Like, don't we get, don't we get enough of that? Like, do we need that? Like, I don't know. Like that's the part that bothers me. Um, you know, the commercials have always been a huge part of the Super Bowl. That stuff doesn't bother me. But it is all the extra things that make an already long three-hour game basically six hours. How did you like it, Galley? I mean, honestly, I I was mainly there for the commercials and the halftime show personally for overall, and the game was – that's fine. I was – you know. Um, but it's just – yeah, some of the stuff is like so over the top. And I agree with Bickler. I think there's too much focus on – it made me miss the cheesy stories that they would throw about players. Like he broke his finger when he was four. And, you know, like you just like go to these old, like, you know, some semi like a mini documentary thing for three minutes that is like full of cheese. But it made me miss that stuff because I'd rather watch that than rock, which I don't have anything against the rock. But the, the day always was about pomp and circumstance, like always, from the time I was a little dude, right? As much as I can remember. And it always started at noon and went on for six hours. But you guys are right. There were the puff pieces. There would be like the all Madden team would be released for two hours from one to three. So at least it was, it was literally, you know, that. Um, you know, I think the bigger issue – yeah, sorry, Sean. You came in for two minutes. If you had caught it 20 minutes ago, you would have got a shit show about a dog getting overweight. So I hate to fucking ruin it for you. Um, but the uh, there there were just some things that just really struck a chord. And I will, so to bring it to Liverpool, I do fear, though, that we are getting to the world where genuinely where this is creeping in. And we've seen it, right? We see halftime acts at the major Champions League finals. We see them trying to bring legal matches to the United States and played in Miami. And let's not kid ourselves. If you don't think J-Lo is going to be singing the anthem and someone else is going to be performing at halftime and somebody at the end of the game during the fireworks display, if they get that match in Miami, you're crazy because that's what Americans do. We commercialize these events. So as more American dollars creep into the European game, I hope it doesn't have that. Because I'll tell you right now, what we don't need is whatever the British version of The Rock is 
going out there in the middle of the field trying to hype up the crowd because to me that was the most embarrassing moment of the whole broadcast was we got through the opening we got through all the bs we got through the anthems we got through a commercial we had to have a commercial on title nine to get to a coin toss like we went to a commercial on billy jean king which was a great person to highlight you know, one more way the NFL can pander, right? They have race issues, so they just trot out a bunch of race bander, pandering during the opening. They have female issues, so they make sure that they have Title IX represented during the inaugural coin toss brought to you by Tostitos. Come on. Like, <laughs> oh, just to get to the coin toss, which is one of the biggest betting props in all of America. Correct. Which, <laughs> and then if I'm someone, and I'll say this right now, if I'm someone who bet on that coin toss, I want Vegas to rescind my bid bet because I'm not sure she flicked it. There was no motion. There was no flick. I don't even know the thing turned once. She like threw it up in the air and was like heads and it just landed. It was pathetic. And but I, it, it really was like, it, it, there was, it was cringeworthy. And that to me is an embarrassment for something as big as the NFL. But it just shows, you know, the EPL, the biggest league in the world can't get refereeing and bar decisions right. And we think the NFL is going to get like pregame production proper. I mean, I guess that was my biggest concern as I watched this and I'm like, this is going to eventually going to happen to my favorite sport is my, like, as I watch it, I just cringe, like, you know, imagining what can be and what it already has been. And I mean, honestly, like, you know, I hate to sound like an old fart, but that's kind of like, I guess, it's going to come with the territory. And one thing, I mean, I know you mentioned like American sports, but it's like European who came over here and was been here for a long time now. I think that's one thing that Americans do well is sucking the money out of any events in any freaking way possible. And sadly, the rest of the world is kind of like learning from it. So, you know, I... NFL's going I, to Germany next year. Yeah, mark my worst year. Like oh, in guys. 15 years, you're going to see soccer jerseys look like freaking like NASCAR shirts with like logos all over the place and stuff. I mean, let's face it, we've already started. So five years, within five years, we're going to get what we've all been calling for, which is not to have to work the day after the Super Bowl. Because yep. within five years, the Super Bowl will be the Saturday of President's Day weekend, every single weekend. So they can have a three day holiday extravaganza of this propaganda and on top of it one of those games will be played in london and will be played at tottenham hotspur stadium the deal was made when they made that stadium built for nfl viewing you realize when they actually constructed sight lines inside the stadium they made sure that it was just as good for nfl football as it was for american football the the, the cons plan for the jacksonville jaguars to play half their games a year eventually in London. That's always been the plan. So you get ready, London. You're going to get our Jacksonville Jaguars. That's what America does right. We give you trash. We're you like, hey, I a better team, team out there. I always thought it was Here just you go. Harry Kane's forehead. That's what I thought the, like, the sidelines were for. It's a whole nother, well, that was a whole nother angle of it, but you know. At least they'll get some, they're not getting any good regular football in that stadium. Maybe they'll get some decent American football. Not with Jacksonville Jaguars, mind you, but that's a different story. So let's get back to the boys and let's wrap this up with some predictions for Wednesday. Hopefully, I'm looking forward to watching with the Austin boys uh, over there and check out BD Riley's and stuff like that. But what do we expect out of the score there Bickler, let's start with you since you're the legends. Uh, I mean, traditionally, first leg's pretty cagey, right? But I think this one's going to be pretty open. I'll go. I'll go with my traditional three-one. <laughs> the traditional. <laughs> do you? I'll have the usual. Uh, Galley, that's actually my usual as well. Galley, what do you have? Um. So outside of beating AC Milan which was odd because it was a dead rubber and we really had nothing to play for yet still put out a strong lineup. Um, we have struggled over the years playing champions league matches in Italy and we've struggled against basically all competition. Uh, but I, I do think that we will get a result in this match, but I think it's going to be a cagey, cagey affair. I, I think this probably has like one nil, maybe two one, but I'll, I'll go one nil and we squeak one out. Not pretty, but, 
you know, we come home with the lead to hold on to. I don't understand how Galli say we struggle versus Italy in Champions League when the trivia question was we're not – I mean – I know, I know. That was our last twelve. That was that not our last twelve matches. It wasn't our last twelve matches against Italian opponents. Listen, I'm gonna get off this, enjoy my Valentine's Day, and finish my taxes. <laughs> and that's about you, the trivia legends, Bickler, and he's well, not. I, a lot of two zeros. There's a one-one guess. I go with a two-one win. I say we go up two, and then we think we're cruising, and then we let one in, and then kind of hang on for dear life is how I kind of see that game. But uh, hoping for a good performance, I feel like we're kind of like, you know, all the squad is back and things are rolling. I know the Sunday game wasn't impressive, but that's a tough away game in very tough conditions and came back with three points. So you got to be thankful for that. And I am definitely thankful for all those watching and listening and kind of dealing with our comment issues. If you guys got motion sickness from seeing those, because I get them uh, from PlayStation 5 at times, the only remedy is lay down for a while. So if you got that, I apologize for that. And gentlemen, thanks to you guys. Hopefully Thursday, Gally will be back with the Thursday crew to talk about the Champions League game. Hopefully he'll have better technical luck than I did tonight. But thanks again, gentlemen, and thanks to all following and listening. See you guys Thursday.